Welcome to In Conversation, brought to you by Fine Music Sydney. In each episode, our host, Simon Moore, speaks to one of the important figures who make up Australia's artistic landscape. Over the course of the programme, you'll hear all about our guests' life, work and interests, along with a number of musical pieces of their choice. The following conversation was first broadcast in February 2021. Hello, I'm Simon Moore. Welcome to In Conversation on Fine Music Sydney. Emma Dunch made her name in the art sector in New York and returned to Australia in 2018 to become CEO of the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. And what a ride it's been. From having to temporarily vacate their home at the Sydney Opera House to the current pandemic, Emma has had to keep the ship sailing smoothly throughout. And to tell us all about that, as well as her time in New York and before, I'm delighted that Emma Dunch joins me in conversation today. And while she's settling into her chair, let's hear her first selection, which is Graham Kerner's Powerhouse. But I'll let her fill us in later as to why.
the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra under David Porcelain for Graham Kerner's Powerhouse, the first choice of my guest in conversation today. Sydney Symphony Orchestra CEO Emma Dunch. Emma, a very warm welcome to Fine Music Sydney. Thank you so much. A pleasure to be with you. So why did we want to start the program with that one? Well, it's so energetic, like me. <laughs> I love that piece of music. And Powerhouse and Graham Kerner date from my first tour of duty with the orchestra. I began at the Sydney Symphony Orchestra in the 1990s in a junior role, went to America for 20 years and came back to be the CEO three <laughs> very eventful years ago. We took Powerhouse on tour to the United States. The orchestra, Ada DeVart, Graham Kerner and little old me. This is back in the 90s. Back yeah. in the 90s and we yeah. performed it at Carnegie Hall. It was my first visit to Carnegie Hall and my first experience working with Australian composers and I, I've never forgotten it. Uh, I had no idea at the time that I would subsequently spend 20 years living within a short walking distance of Carnegie Hall <laughs> up on Central Park and I've visited that hall so many times in the years since and heard so many great orchestras but this was my first memory of a symphony orchestra in performance there. And I've said often to our Sydney Symphony Orchestra musicians since I returned to Australia in 2018, you know, you guys, I sat in Carnegie Hall for 20 years, night after night, listening to the best orchestras in the world, and our Sydney Symphony Orchestra can absolutely compete. We are a great orchestra. We are just a very long way away from the rest of the world. Uh, well, yeah, we bring the rest of the world here. Exactly. Usually outside of pandemic. Exactly. And I'm an example of an Australian who's come home because this orchestra is so terrific. I mean, there's a lot more movement around like that now. I mean, back in the day, um, uh, in our, our forefathers, as it were, you know, they'd uh, grow up in Australia in, in the 50s and 60s and they'd head to London or New York and we'd never see them again. But, of course, it's so much easier now and people do come back and move around. It's just a, another another venue. And you, we certainly work hard to bring Australian musicians back. Most notably, of course, our forthcoming chief conductor, Simone Young, who mm. is based in London, but also our associate concertmaster, Harry Bennett, a young Australian from Sydney. Originally, he studied at Annam in Melbourne and he was in Berlin, but he auditioned successfully and we've brought him home and he's up there on the first desk of the violins doing a spectacular job. Well, we have to, start, I think, start with the, the, the obvious question about what the last year has been. The challenges are obvious, but I'm curious to know how prepared was an organisation such as yourselves for this kind of thing, this kind of earth-shattering event that, that stopped you in your tracks? That's an excellent question. I think, you know, I'm very fortunate to work with some of the smartest minds in music and business at the Sydney Symphony Orchestra, both on stage and off stage, and in our board of directors. We had done a lot of planning for being dislocated from the Sydney Opera House Concert Hall, our home, mm. for two years while it was renovated. So we were downsized and on the road with our bags packed right as COVID broke. We had relocated to the Sydney Town Hall and, in fact, only gave uh, three or four performances before the shutdowns came. So it was... Uh, complication layered on complication, but we were already in that frame of mind of, of mm. getting it done, getting to the other side, pulling through, etc. So I was just so gratified by how everyone pulled together immediately. You know, we came together as one Sydney Symphony Orchestra, mm. everybody united in, in facing this challenge and moving forward. And then there was the most extraordinary outpouring uh, of support from our patrons, our audiences, and from Sydney-siders. We heard from thousands of people who donated their tickets. They said, keep the money, oh, use great. it to pay the musicians, try to get to the other side. And it was so gratifying and wonderful, the, the love for the Sydney Symphony Orchestra in the community. Is it in any way fortuitous that the Sydney Opera House closure has overlapped with this? Or were you quite happy to have to, well, happy, but, you know, were you, were you sort of 
content with the concept of vacating it for, for a couple of years? Because that's overlapped. I mean, the renovations have been continuing during yes. COVID. Well, all I will say is I'm so glad that COVID did not happen the year we came back. Yes, that would have been very unfortunate. <laughs> that would have been most unfortunate. Yeah. And of course, COVID, uh, I should not joke, is a, is a, mm. a global catastrophe on a, a terrible human scale. And we are so fortunate in Australia that we've been quite uh, insulated mm. from the worst effects. But all of my colleagues overseas, others running orchestras elsewhere, uh, are having such a terrible time of it. You know, the sooner we're able to all come through the other side, the better, of course. So Simone, who as she's based in London, with the various quarantine restrictions and so on, it's, it's a bit of a challenge to bring her out during this period, but you're managing it. You know, Simone Young is an extraordinary Australian. And what is even more notable is that she agreed to partner with me and with us during this period that we knew would be so disrupted. So way back uh, in 2018, she's been coming to Australia for 20 years and is much loved by Australians and by our musicians. She was their unanimous choice to become their next chief conductor. And it is actually up to the musicians, not up to me or, or our board. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, of course. It's, a, it's an organic <laughs> artistic unit. They all have to love each other to do their best. <laughs> Uh, you know, she knew that we would be dislocated from the Opera House and she said, I will come for a three-year artistic cycle. I will do what I do best and I'll come every year and help you to get to the other side. Yeah. And, you know, what loyalty and commitment is that? Absolutely extraordinary. And it was during that process that we all said, you know what, could we could we make this a, a little longer of a marriage? Yeah. And uh, she graciously agreed to become our chief conductor upon return to the Opera House next year in 2022. And to her immense credit, she has made two trips already this year in 2021, uh, endured middling to ordinary hotel quarantine, four weeks of it, oh, uh, in order to work with two. our musicians. And she's uh, she's opened our season at the Sydney Town Hall in February, and it's just extraordinary to have her in our family live and in person. Such a morale boost after the year we've had. It is an incredible uh, devotion to have to go through not just one but two sets of... Uh, of two-week quarantine. Does she, she have any kind of, <laughs> was she kind of all out of the corner of her mouth, what have I done? I suppose she, I suppose she was making good use of the time though. <laughs> she does speak rather colourfully <laughs> of one particular hotel when the windows did not open. <laughs> now that's the thing that actually drives me mad, I have to say. Now, I think we have to have a little bit more music now before we go any further. And uh, I believe you've got some Sibelius for us. I do. The story of this uh, is that when I was in America, I was fortunate enough to be selected for the League of American Orchestras Talent Development Program, which is sort of a year-long boot camp, travelling around America, working alongside all the leading CEOs of the orchestras. And my first assignment was at the beautiful Aspen Music Festival, working with the famous conductor David Zinman, a frequent guest to Australia, running his American Academy of Conducting. It's a training program program for young guns, both women and men, uh, as they learn their chops and practice their art. And this symphony, this movement in particular, was a test piece because it's fiendishly difficult in its speed, its string ensemble and its dynamics. And everyone could tell which conductors were going to make it based on whether or not they could pull this movement off. Um, Simone and I have big plans uh, to establish an Australian Conductor Academy uh, in the coming years, and I'm pretty sure this will be one of the audition pieces.
The final movement of Jean Sibelius's Symphony No. 5 in E-flat major. Fiendishly difficult, apparently, according to my guest Emma Dunch. And that was her choice for In Conversation. The performance we just heard was the London Symphony Orchestra under Sir Colin Davis. So, Emma, moving to New York. I mean, and you may have been there with the Sydney Symphony and uh, in their Carnegie Hall tour. But uh, what took you there? Was it just, you know, if I can make it there, I can make it anywhere? <laughs> Funny. I'm a dual Australian-American citizen. Oh. I grew up here in Sydney in leafy Wurunga, and I was educated here, And uh, but I do have American relatives and, and the ability to work. And uh, a few of my older brothers took off overseas uh, in their 20s to st- pursue further studies. And in my case, I thought, let me give it a try. Mm. Let me move to the epicentre of music in the world uh, and see if I can make it there. And uh, it was quite a journey, but it took about 20 years. And <laughs> <laughs> I think it probably was quicker than that. It right. was very colourful <laughs> and enjoyable, an extraordinary chapter in my life. And uh, all of the contacts and connections and experience I was able to gather over those decades has been so valuable in coming back to Australia to to try mm. to make a contribution to my hometown, to my friends in my own orchestra, and of course, so fortunate that my own family is here in Sydney still, and they never thought it would happen that I would come home, mm. and it, it has been extraordinary so far. Did you think you'd come home? I did not. Mm. I did not. But I'm so delighted to have done so. It was absolutely the right choice. And I love it here. And Sydney, I I joked when I first came, I'm glad I know the Opera House and the Harbour Bridge because the rest of the city is completely changed. Mm. So much more international and sophisticated than 20 years earlier when I left. And uh, I'm really having an extraordinary time. I've received a very warm welcome um, from everybody. And, you know, the orchestra is of world class. It's an honour to support Mm. their work. A family friend of ours uh, jokes about uh, Sydney, oh, it'll be lovely when it's finished. (laughs) The the constant change. I do feel that way about the concert hall. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We are within 365 days of the Sydney Opera House Concert Hall renovation. What's the big date for our calendar again? Mark your dates, everybody. Thursday, the 17th of February, 2022, with a post-concert party that will last until the morning. Can I say, if I was a tradesman or a builder working on that project, I would be just quivering in my boots that you've got that hard deadline <laughs> there. It's like, it cannot be pushed back. That is what we're going to do. My wonderful colleague, Louise Heron, who runs the Opera House, assures <laughs> me that uh, one of the only upsides of COVID in our city is that they have been able to switch to 24-7 construction shifts because there's oh. nobody in the building. So the project is proceeding apace and, uh, you know, I, I visit frequently to look at it and see how it's going and and I will be doing a hard hat tour with Simone Young in just a couple of weeks time and I really look forward to learning more. You see silver linings there there, there always is one uh, but let's go back to New York if I may um, I'm curious how long did it take you to get set up there I mean arriving as a foreigner I mean yes you're a dual national but nevertheless you would have you would have been an Aussie when you arrived did they welcome you with open arms or was it hard knocking on doors? I did have the good fortune to have a job so good. that I got off the plane I did two things I started work and I joined a really big choir. And I joined the New York Choral Society, which was a, a ready-made group of 300 really wonderful, music-loving uh, performers. And so I, I found myself a, a clique and a network and a family very quickly when I arrived mm. in America. And I had some relatives there as well. And then my career development you know, was way leading on to way, building on experience, mm. trying always to grow and the big turning point for me was being identified by the League of American Orchestras as a mid-level manager person with talent. I was quite young at the time mm. and being put into this talent development training program and, you know, 
churned out the other end, ready to go. And my career really took off after that endorsement and that training. And so as I think about the Sydney Symphony and our future here, you know, what can we do to provide that level of launching pad mm. for Australian talent? So, you know, composers, conductors, young performers. We've had a wonderful um, music training program, a fellowship program for 20 years at the mm. Sydney Symphony, which is for all the best instrumentalists. And they now work in orchestras around the world. Um, but I'd like to see us do something equivalent for conductors and for composers. And of course, composers, leading into my next selection, actually, oh, yeah. one of the first initiatives we launched uh, when I arrived was the 50 Fanfares Project, one of the largest commissioning programs in Australian history to commission 50 young Australian composers for the reopening of the Opera House. Uh, and just last week, the first commission, Connor Donetto's Uncertain Planning, he's a, a young composer from Brisbane, was premiered, world premiere performances by Simone Young at Sydney Town Hall. And so the 50 Fanfares Project, with the opportunities provided to all these composers is a crucial part of our responsibility to develop the next generation of Australian creative talent. And I'm very excited about it and I was very proud to hear Connor's piece last week. We mm. made that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So tell me a bit more about this Elena Katz-Chernan we're going to hear. Well, Elena is one of the Eminence Greasers who is, has been commissioned as part of our Would 50 Fanfares really? project. <laughs> but, you know, I'm so proud that actually half of the commissions have gone to women uh, who are traditionally overlooked in commissioning efforts. Uh, half of the con commissions have gone to a young Australian composers aged under 40. And we also have a wonderful spread of extraordinary First Nations voices. So this program and this project, and, and more importantly, what will come out of it, is really a very broad span of the next sounds of Australia. And Elena, of course, is a wonderful, wonderful colleague, very well established. And I selected this recording um, because I love this piece. It also features four of the Sydney Symphony's double basses as a four of eight double bass soloists. I mean, who writes for eight double basses in orchestra? <laughs> <laughs> Only Elena Katz-Chernan. And it was recorded live um, with the Australian World Orchestra, a, a marvellous organisation that brings Australians home once a year. But I just want to remind listeners that, of course, some of the finest instrumentalists in Australia are already here. <laughs>
Witching Hour from Elena Katz-Chernan. A somewhat challenging piece, I imagine. Eight double basses. Goodness me, who'd have thought? And orchestra, and that was performed by Alexander Brieger and the Australian World Orchestra. Yes, some of Australia's best. But as uh, Emma Dunch, my guest in conversation today, was saying, some of our best are already here. They stay here, and they're part of the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. Emma, of course, is the CEO of the SSO. Emma, if I can touch on a, a sort of an interesting subject because you did raise it when you mentioned the 50% of the or more than 50% of the commissions for this project are female and you also mentioned under 40s as well is that partly to make up for that for a sort of a skew an historic skew that this industry may have had amongst composers maybe hiring older more male composers is that a thing you know, I think that, uh, you know, the so-called glass ceiling for women all around the world is really shattering before our eyes. I mean, the United States has just elected uh, a female vice president uh, of diverse background. And, you know, I think as a, a leadership institutions, Australia's largest arts organisations have a, a serious responsibility to provide opportunities for the next generation, not just a leg up, but reaching down and pulling people up. Mm. And so, you know, our our efforts that I'm planning with Simone Young and our colleagues and our board to create an incubator for new talent on the podium. You know, imagine being able to be taught, conducting and coached by Simone Young, one of the best conductors in the world. Mm. And, you know, there are wonderful young men and women coming through who are desperate to express themselves in classical music, whether they are composers, young instrumentalists, singers, conductors. And I sort of see the Sydney Symphony as the mothership, thinking about how to do meaningful, large-scale initiatives that give many people an opportunity to take that next step up. Mm. The 50 Fanfares Project, commissioning 50 of them, not just two or three or five, you know, is a perfect example. And, you know, what I really hope for is it's actually exactly what's happened with the piece I just mentioned, Connor Donetto's Uncertain Planning, where Simone Young led the world premiere of that last week. Um, she has decided that that piece is substantive and significant enough that she will take it to the Los Angeles Philharmonic. Mm. So because Simone Young got involved with it through Sydney Symphony's efforts, that young man is going to be heard by one of the finest orchestras in the world mm. uh, and they're all going to have exposure to him. Otherwise, he's they would never have heard of him. And Simone also has plans to take a different commission to the New York Philharmonic. So, you know, from the Sydney Town Hall to Carnegie Hall, what mm. a tremendous way for the Sydney Symphony to make a contribution. So I feel really strongly about creating talent platforms for the future um, and preferably gender blind in every mm. respect. Now, going back in time a little more, when you went to New York and you had that job lined up with, with a, a choir, it's interesting because you did train originally as an opera singer, I believe. <laughs> right now, all I do is sing in the shower and uh, lead, lead the staff happy birthdays every month. You're not going to serenade us right now. <laughs> happy birthday to Oh, that's lovely. Oh, that's very operatic. Oh, my goodness. I, didn't, I wasn't, wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to do that in public. <laughs> uh, but... Is that a career you were originally wanting or were you, it did just one thing lead to another and here you are? It's so interesting. It was something where I moved out of the Victorian College of the Arts. I came, you know, the runner up for the Young Artist Program at uh, Opera Australia. And they said, oh, you need to wait another 10 years. You're a mezzo-soprano. We want to really hear the voice develop. I think I was about 22 or something. Mm. And they were right, right? So a mezzo, a contralto really is you're going to hear that instrument in the late 20s, early right. 30s. And I thought, well, what am I going to do for a decade? Like, I'm impatient. <laughs> Let's get on with it. And uh, way led on to way, I, I, I moved into arts administration. And to be honest, I never looked back. And I realised 
years later that I'm so much better a businesswoman and financier than I ever was a singer. And my place in the world is to work behind the scenes to make those opportunities and careers possible for the people who really have the talent. And, you know, it's a perfect fit for me. I love what I do. And I get so much satisfaction out of, especially in a year like COVID, um, making sure that the Sydney Symphony can endure, that our musicians can be supported and they can come out the other side and return to the stage, which is where all of us would like to see them uh, mm. as soon as possible. And, you know, uh, I and my colleagues worked pretty hard last year behind the scenes to make all of that hang together. And again, I'm so thankful for all of the donations and the support from our audiences and from Sydney siders who just flocked to assist us. So many thanks to everybody listening. <laughs> But that experience as a singer, however brief it was when you, while you were waiting for your voice to mature, uh, that must inform your work now. It really gives me a sensibility for the struggles that performing artists face. Symphony orchestra musicians, uh, they strive their whole lives to reach a quality level where they can win one of a hundred unwinnable seats in a symphony orchestra. And then they're under enormous pressure to stay match fit, so to speak, for decades, day in, day out. Mm. It's the most extraordinary pressured lifestyle. And if they fall out of shape, their colleagues will let them know. Yeah. And so a lot of pressure and you know, I really have a strong sensibility for that. And I think my job is to make those conditions as comfortable as possible so that everyone can do their best artistically. That's what we all want in the audience, right? The most inspiring performances possible. Mm. And a lot of work has to happen behind the scenes to make it pos make the circumstances possible for artists to do their best work. And, you know, that's where I specialise. Uh, and I, I get a lot of enjoyment and, and satisfaction out of my piece of the puzzle. It's a small piece, but it's an important piece. Mm. Going back to, to New York, if I may, because I'm just curious about uh, the, a different culture in the workplace over there. Was it, was it kind of more full on, I suppose, is, is what I'm asking, or, or was it surprisingly relaxed? Because we have a reputation here as being quite a relaxed <laughs> culture in comparison. I will answer that question by telling you uh, what Andrew Haveron said to me. <laughs> Andrew Haveron, many of you will know, is the wonderful, extraordinary uh, British violinist who is the concertmaster of the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. He said to me, I'm going to do a terrible job of his accent, but he said to me, now, Emma, when I first came, it took me three years to decompress enough to be <laughs> You know, to thrive in Sydney. And what he meant is, you know, in London, where he had come yes. from, you know, the, the most unbelievably busy life, uh, you know, just unbelievably stuffed calendar racing from one thing to another and it took him several years to relax long enough to actually love being in Sydney and thrive and now of course he's a local legend he's doing extraordinary things with our orchestra and the strings have never sounded better and I guess my experience was the same I I came off the plane from New York and I basically started the work right away and it was kind of full on and I was definitely full on and uh, my colleagues will tell you now she's a lot more relaxed. She's, <laughs> <laughs> I've learned to exhale, I've taken up meditation, I do yoga, I do swimming and, you know, just basically uh, release some of the, the built-up pressure valve yeah. of 20 years and, and that's been a successful approach. You but is that what it's like over there? Like the, it's just oh, yes. more tight, it like doesn't yeah. stop? Well, I think it's, you know, unbelievably competitive environment. If you work hard and yeah. can be excellent, you will excel. And so that part is very attractive, right? You work hard and you build on your career and you can be a great success. There's no ceiling. That's why people work so hard. They just want to keep growing and learning and excelling and getting uh, to the next level. Mm. And, um, and so 
it is a very pressured environment, but there's great reward associated with that. Mm. But tell me about uh, a life there. I mean, you your time there straddled, for instance, the, the 9-11 terror attacks. Tell me about that, that morning, that day. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, I had the, the great misfortune to be working in Lower Manhattan that day, and I was working for the equivalent of the ABC. So I was working for National Public Radio, the New York City station, which actually, uh, with offices that overlooked the World Trade Center. And um, obviously, that was, um, what can I say, <laughs> an unforgettable morning for all the wrong reasons. And uh, you know, to, to witness those planes hit the towers, to be part of the, the crowd that was racing away from the vicinity, and then to basically uh, not lose my life or have anyone that I knew lose their lives. But you did lose the next at least 12 to 18 months of your life, uh, career-wise and, and work-wise. You just, it's just a blank where all that time went. I can hardly remember. I just remember like two years later going, gosh, what happened to the last two years? Just this haze of... Um, awfulness. And I I guess what I remember now, it's actually the 20th anniversary of those attacks this year in 2021 in in, uh, Mm. September. Just just about 10 days after the World Trade Center attacks, the New York Philharmonic under Kurt Mazur um, converted its season opening gala into a fundraiser for the victims of the World Trade Center attacks and the firefighters. And um, I was a singer in the choir for the Brahms Requiem because of the choir I was in and we were the singers for the piece. And um, it was the most awesome evening because um, Maestro Mazur turned around to the audience and asked that there be no applause after the performance, that mm. each of us would pray in whatever way worked for us for the victims and our fellow citizens in distress. And I will never forget singing my heart out in sorrow and grief and the, the very, very long silence that followed the performance. And, you know, whenever I'm asked about, well, what's the power of classical music? I think of that night. Mm. I think we have to enjoy some more power of classical music now with another musical selection. Um, I believe we have some Richard Wagner. Oh, yes. Uh, a, con- a performance conducted by Edo Devart, mm. our much-loved former chief conductor and artistic director, and uh, my first boss at the Sydney Symphony. And, and <laughs> what a stern <laughs> Dutch fellow he is. <laughs> uh, I, I love him very much. I look forward to welcoming him back to our stage in 2022. Uh, many listeners will remember that he led a very memorable Wagner ring cycle in concert in the 1990s, and the Sydney Symphony has not done it since. Um, Simone chose this piece, the Siegfried Idyll, a chamber arrangement, to return to our orchestra during COVID. She came in August of 2020 for closed recording sessions at Sydney Town Hall under COVID-safe conditions, and there were so many tears, the first chance for us to come together, mm. uh, playing music of such great uh, import and of great solace. Simone chose this selection. There is a video of it available free on our website that I encourage people to go and watch. And as to Wagner generally, I will just mention that Simone's tenure as chief conductor is going to include a wonderful opera in concert to close each season, each November. Uh, so watch this space.
Richard Wagner's Siegfried Idel. Ada de Vaart with the Netherlands Radio Philharmonic Orchestra in that performance. The choice of my guest in conversation today, the CEO of the Sydney Symphony Orchestra, Emma Dunch. Emma, I can't help but noticing you said just before when you introduced that work, you said that Ado DeVart was your first boss. Now, that implies that the chief conductor is the boss, not the CEO. I want to delve into that. <laughs> I definitely misspoke. <laughs> I was very young and impressionable, and he was the most powerful force inside yes. the Sydney Symphony, accompanied, of course, by Mary Valentine, the marvellous managing director of, of Long Import at the orchestra. They were a dynamic duo, for sure. Yes, but nevertheless, the CEO and the chief conductor is is a partnership. I definitely think so. And, you know, Simone and I had many long conversations and and she agreed to sign up for what we were trying to do and, and we agreed to sign up for what she saw as possible. And so lengthy conversations and, and thinking about what together mm. uh, we could achieve for our home city and our orchestra uh, in partnership. Mm. And the board of the Sydney Symphony, also very supportive of having a duo of women leaders with such vision um, carry the orchestra forward. Uh, when we return to the Opera House next year in 2022, it will just be a short decade until the orchestra's 100th birthday, wow. the centenary. So the next big chapter for us and what Simone and I are focused on with our colleagues in the orchestra and the board is, okay, how do we mark that decade leading up to the centenary and plan some really spectacular uh, celebrations on the one hand, but also contributions to Australian society. How can the Sydney Symphony really make a mark and a contribution over those 10 years, such that the history books will look back and say that was a golden era coming out of such distress and disruption. Look at what they did and how much value all of us in the community have derived from their efforts. Well, I suppose that's the opportunity through adversity, isn't it? I think often we come out the other side striving harder, doing better, even better. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So your intention is to, without giving too much away, um, your intention is to almost mark the centenary in the full decade leading up uh, rather than just, oh, goodness me, it's 100 years this year. Oh, Firework, firecracker. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the same way that the 50 Fanfares Project, a major initiative, was planned in 2018 before any of this Mm. and is now starting to unfold in 2021, Mm. that takes several years of gestation and organising and fundraising. And so we have big projects mapped for the decade leading up to the centenary that we are starting to work on now and they'll unfold over time. And Simone uh, has planned artistic initiatives that go over multiple seasons uh, without giving too much away. We'll be announcing a lot of that in July of 2021 when we launch her tenure as chief conductor. And so we have lots of grand plans and and many of them secret, but I I guarantee (laughs) there'll be many reasons to support. But it's good to know that there are are plans moving forward. Arts management is not just worrying about the next season or even the season after. You're you're looking so far ahead under the normal circumstances, even when it comes to booking booking soloists. Uh, Absolutely. So take COVID out of the picture. You're already having to worry about seasons way down the track, aren't you? Yes, at the moment in in 2021, we are finalising 2023 and we have a lot of plans. Um, wooden planks in place for 2024. Mm. So the classical music world does work many years ahead. Mm. And so, um, look, a lot of the work is just planning to be as successful as possible Mm. and have audiences to come with us on that journey. We all have our own personal tastes when it comes to specific music, specific composers and performers and so on. But, of course, you're having to run the orchestra for everybody. Uh, Is it a challenge at all? Can you compartmentalise your own personal tastes uh, and expand it to, to other things? 
Oh, that's such an interesting question. I think you can't um, manage an orchestra without having the most extraordinarily broad musical tastes. Mm. So I listen to all kinds of music, the entire spectrum. Right. And, you know, I love uh, nothing tops live symphonic performance experienced live. But, you know, on my own time, in the car, etc., I listen to, you know, I like to flick the radio tuner just from station to station just to see, see what's, what's happening mm. all the way across the spectrum. I find that a fascinating exercise when I'm visiting foreign cities also to get a sense of the culture. Uh, so, yeah, I have very broad taste and that helps because no, no idea is too crazy. Nothing's off the books. Yeah. Uh, you know, let's discuss we're building the future here uh, and you can't build the future uh, relying solely on the past. Yeah, I mean, because you guys do not just the the traditional repertoire for one of a better description. You know, you you'll branch out to, if I can use the word correctly, crossover type material. You know, playing music in front of the cinema screens and so on like that. Do you get a kick out of that sort of thing as well? Oh, absolutely. I I'd yeah. never seen a Harry Potter film until I, <laughs> I and I'm embarrassed to admit it uh, until I sat in a Sydney Symphony, uh, you know, live orchestra with the, the movie on screen and the full hundred players playing the score, the John Williams score. It was fantastic. Mm. And you know, I don't have children, so I'm not doing the the wiggles and the all of the kids stuff, the Harry Potter, etc. But you know, I looked around and there were so many happy people. They were loving it. Mm. And so, how great that we can provide that service and provide so much enjoyment to people. You, you mentioned sitting in a performance there with Harry Potter, for instance. You obviously would be attending many performances, I imagine. Not all that would be a bit too much. Is it possible to sit there as the CEO of the organisation and just enjoy it? Or do you have to? Or are you constantly kind of thinking, oh, that's great, oh, that's bad, oh, I hope, what's that person doing over there? They're looking at the program. You know, why isn't that person you know, paying attention? Oh, that's funny. When I sit down in the performance, the honest truth is I look at the orchestra's dress <gasps> to ensure that everyone is appropriately dressed. Oh, you see, so you are working. Yeah, there's yeah. no, there's no um, naked legs showing, there's no holes in the stockings, everyone's looking good. <laughs> and doing their best and well appropriately attired and after that you know and that the curtain goes up on time yeah. and that no, latecomers are politely treated and that no one's filming and after that <laughs> uh, that's my mental checklist yeah. and then I can sit back and just breathe exhale and listen and that's my favorite Great. thing it's it's like putting your fingers in the in the power socket to get a recharge of your energy for the next day mm. I, I, I I've so missed the performances and all my colleagues were all glum because we don't hear the orchestra in performance and let alone the musicians and you know we've come back to concerts at Sydney Town Hall this year in all COVID safe conditions, you know, we're doing everything the government recommends. I really encourage people to come out. Um, mask, we're using masks in the performances and everybody's seated at least one seat, one empty seat on either side of them. Mm. And the city of Sydney has been very helpful in exactly how to do everything as safely as possible. And, uh, you know, so we've, we're taking every precaution and the atmosphere is electric. Mm. Just the idea that we can all come back together and have communion in music has been extraordinary. Last week, four performances in a row, all sold out um, and so many happy people again. Like, I was so, so joyful. Yeah. Were you worried? I mean, you said sold out, which is great. Were you worried that people wouldn't come out as quickly as possible. I'm sure there were some sleepless nights. Well, I'm, I, you know, I, I give great credit to Sydney Siders who on the whole appear to be extremely sensible mm. and cooperative with government uh, requirements and keeping us all safe. And so I, I thank all those people that have come out to support the Sydney Symphony following just the same guidelines, right? Mm. I think it's possible for us to work all of work and perform in COVID safe way, keep everybody safe according to the government's advice and, you know, be able to enjoy 
what we do. Obviously, the hall is not completely full because we do have all those empty seats, which is exactly as I would wish the it. The capacity for what you're but permitted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and mm. I'm sorry to all the people that um, aren't able to get a seat mm. because they'd like to come, but the restrictions prevent us from fitting them in the hall. And we're actually looking at, you know, can we add additional performances? Can we open some mm. rehearsals? I, I would like to be able to respond to all the people who um, would like to, to have a, a ticket and a seat. And at the moment, due to the restrictions, we're still juggling how we can provide that. Mm. You mentioned COVID safe for the for the audience, obviously, at the risk of getting into too much detail. I'm curious to how that applies to the musicians. I've spoken to a lot of uh, s- small ensembles of late, and of course it's easy for them because you've got a stage and you've only got sure. a few performers. You've got a symphony orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very grateful to the New South Wales Health Minister, Brad Hazard, and the Chief Medical Officer, Dr Kerry Chant, because there's essentially been, through the Arts Minister's office, a direct line to the top of the health department to assist all of the performing arts sector with how to operate safely. So our musicians are all seated one and a half metres apart from each other. They have their temperature checked. They wear masks on stage and they only remove them when they take their seat. And every other precaution that is advised by Dr. Kerry Chant, we follow. And, you know, knock on wood, it's gone extremely well so far. And we don't let the audience backstage or the musicians out front. So we try to preserve the spacing and the distancing and the the isolation of the performing group. And again, it's gone very well so far. And and I'm very optimistic that we can do the entire year in this manner. Mm. Well, let's, let's hope so. It's looking good so far. Well, we need a little bit more soothing music, and I'm very excited by um, our final selection. Uh, Emma, can you tell us about what we're about to hear, this gorgeous voice? (laughs) My final selection is They All Laughed by Ella Fitzgerald, my absolute favourite jazz singer. I could listen to her until the cows come home. And I picked this song because it's a song about flouting convention, following your own path, ignoring your detractors, and just ploughing ahead to try to envision and realize the vision that you see and um, I think certainly for the for Simone Young uh, for Emma Dunch and to a certain extent for the Sydney Symphony that very single-minded focus on moving our institution forward maybe taking some new paths doing things differently you know and ignoring the detractors and plowing ahead it sort of characterizes the spirit that we bring to this forthcoming decade together And I think there'll be lots for you to watch and listen to, and this song will be my soundtrack. They all laughed at Christopher Columbus when he said the world was round. They all laughed when Edison recorded sound. They all laughed at Wilbur and his brother when they said that man could fly. Wireless was a phony It's the same old cry They laughed at me Warning you Said I was reaching for the moon But oh, you came through Now they'll have to change their tune They all said we never could be happy They laughed at us and how but oh, 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 who's got the last laugh now? They all laughed at Rockefeller Center. Now they're fighting to get in. They all laughed. 
laugh at Whitney and his cotton gin. They all laugh at Fulton and his steamboat, Hershey and his chocolate bar. Ford and his Lizzie kept the laughters busy. That's how people are. They laughed at me, warning you. Said it would be hello, goodbye. But oh, you came through. Now they're eating humble pie. They all said we'd never get together. Darling, let's take a bow. For ho, 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 who's got the last laugh? He, 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 let's at the last laugh. Ha, 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 who's got the last laugh now? They all laughed from Ella Fitzgerald, the final choice of my guest in conversation today, CEO of the Sydney Symphony Orchestra, Emma Dunch. So, Emma... In a parallel universe, you didn't learn singing as a child, you didn't go to New York and do arts management and you didn't work for the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. What's that Emma doing? You know, I think I might be a national park ranger. Ooh. You know, like a, a parks and wildlife, like outdoors, in the environment, dealing with nature, dealing with animals. <laughs> it's possible I should be a zookeeper because it's not that distant you, as, from the work I do now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you said zookeeper before, I think. But you Looking should, you should after do some... all the different animals. <laughs> But it is a challenge, though. Um, I mean, that's what leadership is, I guess, is to some extent zookeeping. It's it's keeping everything, keeping the ship sailing forward. It's a terrible analogy, but the, the, the I say it in good spirit yeah. because really my job is to care for everyone where they are with whatever needs they have so that they can do their best. And so, uh, you know, there is not just a, there's not just one type of flower in a beautiful garden. There's 50 different species of flower. And as the gardener and the carer of the, of the, the landscape, you have to make sure that each flower in the garden has the care and support and feeding it needs to thrive. Mm. And that's the work of leadership. You don't get a, a single cook, cookie cutter approach. You have to look after everybody where they are. And uh, it's a very satisfying way to spend a life and career. Well, that sounds an excellent note to go out on. Emma Dunch, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you. Emma Dunch, CEO of the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. That's it for In Conversation for today. Remember to subscribe to the podcast edition of the program through your preferred podcast provider. And of course, if you're a fan of the show, tell your friends. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast site. I'm Simon Moore, and this is Fine Music Sydney. Thanks for listening to In Conversation. This episode originally aired on Fine Music Sydney, 102.5 FM, streaming and DAB+. It was presented by Simon Moore and produced by Joe Goddard. For more episodes, just head to finemusicsydney.com slash inconversation. <laughs>